We've uh, been working on this series, going through Genesis, looking at the rest of the Bible. And starting next week, going back to Sunday school, this will go into the Sunday school hour, and then we'll have just different regular preaching during the 11 o'clock hour. But, but uh, we're looking at Genesis, and looking at things in Genesis, comparing through the rest of the Bible. One of the things that I've seen many times, and for myself, even growing up in church, and uh, things, and it's not so much a right or wrong, it's just an observation, that uh, sometimes we look at a book in the Bible, and we kind of keep it in its own compartment. And, and, and okay, that's a neat story, and we kind of go on. And we forget that God's plan was over the years that God gave us the Bible was something for us to have today to look at the entire history of how God deals with man. And in order to see that, one way we're looking through this study is to see Genesis as it references things throughout the rest of the Bible. Now, there's way more going on than what we can cover in this study. And, uh, but but uh, one thing we'll see today that proves God, for salvation, for example, that never changed from the beginning of time. There's some who teach it does. Um, I'm sorry, they're wrong. The Bible's right. We'll take God's word on it. But, but God always dealt by faith and grace when it comes to the personal relationship with Christ. And uh, that's just one example. But, but to all see some references and history and, and uh, some things as we go through the Bible. So we're now in, actually, we've done one through four. We're actually in... Um, Genesis 5, however, for sake, I think in a few weeks we may reference back, but I am just going to briefly touch on chapter 5, and then we're going to go to chapter 6. There's a couple things, though, in Genesis chapter 5 that uh, mostly it's just the genealogy of Adam. Uh, we can see a couple parallels uh, that uh, in the New Testament, Paul referred to Adam being the first Adam and Christ being the second Adam in the sense of starting our new life. Um, not comparing um, physically, Adam was a man, Adam sinned, that is nothing like who Christ was. But Adam gave us life on earth, Jesus gave us our spiritual life, they both represent that beginning of life. Um, in that context is what Paul was referring to. Genesis chapter 5 and verse 1 says this is the book of the generations of Adam. So we're looking at the generation of Adam. If you go to Matthew chapter 1, you see the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And uh, so kind of a beginning with the Old Testament, a beginning later with the New Testament. Just a little bit of a parallel there. And uh, I, I want to drop down to the... four. I lost, I believe... Um, one reference I'm going to come back to kind of in a minute. I'm just going to mention it here, and we'll go on. If we drop down to chapter 5 and verse 24, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That says a lot about Enoch, even though we really don't know anything about Enoch. But that says a lot that he was close enough to God. goes back to where we left off in Genesis chapter 4. We had the heartache. We had the sin. We had them kicked out of the garden. We saw the, the murders with Cain and Abel. And, and, and then in, uh, and, and then, uh, um, 
his seed had had murder in it and all this shit going on. And then we see at the end of chapter 4, uh, chapter 4 and verse 26, and to Seth, to him also was born a son, and then we called Enos, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord, is where we left off in chapter 4. And then now just chapter 5 lists the genealogy of Adam. We're going to come back to that thought in a moment. Let's go down over to chapter 6 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 6 and, uh, and verse 1. <clears throat> um, I'm not going to read through the entire chapter like sometimes I do the... the uh, um, reverse. I know it's not terribly long, but I want to hit and spot and, and see how some of this goes. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 1, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto that, sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. And there were giants in the earth in those days. Also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, that they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were old, men of renown. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Um, I'll pause there just for a moment. We have the introduction where um, God talks about, hey, man, start growing. Now, we have the instant God created man. Obviously, there was a civilization, civilization born in chapter 4. And, and men were learning how to work with metals and, and learning instruments and learning how to build things and, and, and all these things we see in chapter 4. And, and there was some murder. There was some chaos. There was sin. But now we see, come to chapter 6, we don't know the numbers, we, we don't know all the, the exact times, the Bible doesn't give us that, but, but we see generations later, now we have many people, and it said it's just become wicked. Now there's a couple thoughts here, and this is just to think about. This isn't even really my opinion, just a couple ideas. That one, there's two, two things. One is, shows our responsibility or possibly been a lack of responsibility here. Remember we left off in chapter 4 that they began to call on God. Well, Adam knew God. We saw that back when Cain and Abel were giving sacrifices. Obviously, God had talked to them, and they knew in some way how to reverence God and give back to God and give that sacrifice to God. So they had some communication with God. <clears throat> and they knew to some degree what to expect dealing with God. However, the only responsibility we have, we know two things throughout comparing the rest of the Bible. One is, this is the first couple generations of people on the planet. They did not have any form of written word of God. They had nothing in writing at this point in time that they could go back to and look up like we do with the Bible today and say, God said. So one, they didn't have that to go on. Two is, we know from other references through Bible how God dealt with man all the way through the Old Testament and in New Testament, especially Acts, where we see the transition of gaining the Holy Spirit. 
men and women in this time did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling with them on a personal level. In other words, part of the wickedness is it's not excuse sin in any way. I'm just trying to paint a picture that in this time frame of history, the only thing that these people had to go on with their relationship with God is what their parents told them. That shows great responsibility, literally. They didn't have, the Spirit, they didn't have anything writing. It's a, it's a new world. And, and, but somewhere along the way here, they started trying to figure out their own thing. They started, started trying to, to, to decide their own things and what they thought was right in their own eyes and, and just kind of how we feel. And like, like we see in the world today. There's so much craziness going on and, and, and all the, the opinions, and, and especially right now, the last couple nights here in the city, people just, they're just living by reaction feelings and, and nothing else in the world matters right now other than what I think I want. And, and, and uh, that, that's kind of where, where they were, but they had it back here in Genesis 6. They had it with no other insight, if you will, from God other than what their parents or forefathers told them, and they had to decide to believe. And then we come into, so we're going to strive... Um, um, verse 3, my spirit and I will strive with man, for there is also flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And uh, so God is putting what God knows that's not told yet, it's coming soon, but God didn't tell yet after the flood, we believe. There's a couple ideas, and I'm not digging into whether... You know, it's an absolute idea. There's a couple of thoughts about the environment and and a possible when God sent the rain that there might have been more of a canopy of of moisture around the world that that helped, and because they hadn't seen rain yet at this point, and 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 those things, and some of that could have shielded different from the sun, and had something to do with how long people lived, and 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 all that, and 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 there may be a lot of truth to that, but either way. God did it, and it's God's decision, and God changed something instead of men and women living to be six, seven, eight, nine hundred years old. God say, hey, your man, you're going to be about 120. Now, later in the Bible, we see that change again um, to, to lessen even more, and, and this is talking about an average time um, that uh, man, but some say, I don't see it. Uh, just his opinion. Some say this is a countdown to the flood coming. Um, they the uh, and and there could be. So when God spoke, there's some time here that is not recorded in this passage. This could be a countdown to God sending the flood. From 120 years from this point, God is going to send the flood. Um, in in verse three, I don't know. There's not enough Bible evidence for me to say that is absolute fact, but that's possible. That means a few years went by before God started talking to Noah and, and there's more events going on in this timeline, in this chapter, than God recorded. Because what we're going to see is some take that and say, and I, I remember hearing it in Sunday school, and I heard people talk about how it takes, uh, it took you know, 120 years to build the ark, and, and we know from comparing scripture, we'll look that up just for a little bit, is... Uh, <coughs> That 
it, uh, it could not have been 120 years building the ark. A couple things just real fast I, I am going to go through that uh, for Noah, let's see, in, in uh, Genesis, my notes got blurred here a little bit. Um, is that chapter 7 or 8? I'm sorry, I got a smudge here on my page and it didn't go through. Uh, must be chapter 8 when... I'm sorry, I'm not going to take time for... Uh... All right, here it is. I'm sorry, but chapter 5. And Noah was 500 years old when, when he begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So he had three sons, and he was already 500 years old. In Genesis 7, 11, I'm going to talk through this real fast. I don't want to make a big deal about it. I just want to kind of make a thought. As When we study the Bible, we need to think... Sometimes people take what, oh, this is what I was told, and this is what I was told somewhere else, and this is what I heard in Bible college, and, and, and sometimes we take things in the Bible. Now, this isn't doctrine. It doesn't matter a single bit how long it took Noah to build the ark. That's not the point. My point is sometimes we hear things and we just think things. Hey, at least have enough sense to use the brain God gave us to look at the Bible for itself. And uh, so, the, uh, so in Genesis 7 and verse 11... We see the flood came upon the earth when Noah was 600 years old. Um, so, and then we also gave, um, already married and grown in, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 18, we see when um, established a covenant, it said, uh, sons and thy sons' wives. So, we're before the flood at this point. God talking about establishing the covenant with Noah. And his sons are already grown and married, because we know they all went in the ark. And uh, so there's some time. So even if, now there's some other scripture that proves that they're not, because their ages are different. But even if the boys were triplets, we can say that we can look out. Um, and uh, there's a couple read Genesis, well, I'm not going to turn there, but in Genesis 9.24 and 10.21, we see different ages listed for them. And then over in chapter 11, we see that Shem was the middle son, and in Genesis 11.10, he was 100 years old, two years after the flood. So when they got off the ark, Shem was 98 years old. So we do know that I've seen reports anywhere from 20 to 40 to 80 all the way, but we do know that this verse is not talking about time to build the ark, and uh, it did not take no 120 years to build the ark. It doesn't say how long it did take, but we know it wasn't 120. And and I say that all to say this: when we look at the Bible, we need to learn. Hey, this is what God said. This is one of the proof verses people go to and say that that uh, where God said here, verse three, that yet his days shall be 120 years. And somehow, this is one of the proof verses that people go to and say, see, it took Noah 120 years to build the ark. That has nothing to do with what verse 3 says. And uh, we just need to learn the Bible. It's okay if you don't understand it. Just don't go with the wrong thing just because someone said. And uh, so we got that. But now we got, as they come through, so 
that's no building the ark. He's talking about her, talking about man's not going to live, and man's going to be 120 years old. And then now we come into um, <clears throat> verse 5, and God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And verse 6, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And uh, so we see God making a change of mind here. Now, there's two things going on. I, I didn't lay out a lot of scripture, but just a thought. Well, some people say, well, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and, and God doesn't change. And God, I, I understand that. But one is, the Bible says it. So um, we did, and, and Abraham even got, remember Abraham and Lot, when he's dealing with that, he said, and now there wasn't enough people to change, but remember when Abraham went to God on Lot's behalf for Sodom and Gomorrah, said, if, I find, if we find, man, if we find 100 people that are righteous, will you spare the city? And God said he would. This is after God said he was going to destroy it. Then, he, of course, they got all the way down to 10, and they couldn't even find 10, 10 people there um, that were right with God. And God did destroy the city anyway. But God was willing to talk about a change of mind. Um, yes, God in his foreknowledge knows the future. God knows what's going to happen. But God is willing to change on our chain. In other words, God that sees the future knows what's going to happen. But where this comes back to is God, because of giving us a free will, is still willing to work with the, within the parameters of the mind he gave us. God says, yeah, I can see the future. I know what decision you will make. But God said, hey, I, I want you to be able to make the right decision. And, and God's trying to work with man. And God said, hey, man's just wicked. I'm going to destroy the earth. And uh, it does change of mind, isn't that... Um, he, he wasn't, this is a, this idea changes, change of mind in the sense of um, an example, if you will, or like Paul used the example and said, a, a day is as unto the Lord is a thousand years. Um, he didn't say that in a literal context. He said it's as a thousand. In other words, God doesn't, isn't bound by our time constraints. It, it, the best our mind can comprehend is a thousand years to us is kind of like a day to God, and, and he's making an illustration there. So God knew what was going to happen. When they're saying God it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, in other words, God is walking back. He said, man, I made man to, 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 to serve me and, and, and fellowship with me, and, 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 I, and I long for that relationship, and man is so wicked that, hey, I need to back off. I'm done. I've changed my mind about man on the earth right now. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll come back to the thought. But, but right now, because we know that later in a few minutes, we're going to read a verse that says it found grace with Noah, and he commanded Noah to save the earth so he could save that family. So this isn't God saying that, that I want to wipe out everyone. It says I've changed my mind on what's going on. I... I, I um, I made man, so I repented, I repented the Lord that he had made man. Also, just a side note, I didn't get off track, I don't want to get into and get off track of where we're going, but the uh, Bible study kind of law or rule, we call it, of first mention. 
Now we know that that idea is not an absolute 100%, but we do know that it does give us a lot of insight on the Word. This is the first time in the Bible that any, any variation of the word repent is used in the Bible. So it's God that gives us an indicator on what this word means. It means a change of mind. Many people try to use repent and say it means turn from your sin and, 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 and turning from your sin is required for salvation and they get into work salvation and all kinds of stuff. This is the first time the word repent or, or a version of it is used in the Bible and is God repenting. And if you take that and study that word through the entire Bible, you'll find out that most every single time that this word is used, it is God doing the repenting, especially throughout the Old Testament. And uh, so it's a, it's a change of mind. Now notice, it's a change of mind. It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. So God is having a, a meant, if you will, uh, um, that, hey, I, I'm kind of going back. I made man, I wanted that fellowship, but hey, this isn't working. So I've changed my mind in that regard. But here's the beauty of it. The Lord said, I will destroy man, verse 7. Um, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the thing, and the fowls of the air, for repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God said, I'm just going to destroy everything and start over or whatever. I'm, it just said this earth too. It said man and the earth and, and every living creature. And then it said, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, we, we have, throughout the Bible, we see God's grace move. And we see God's grace works we see an element of salvation. Here it's physical from the flood, but it's representative. Noah apparently was cooked up or right with God and, and, and engaged with God enough that in this situation, God, Noah, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Um, we see an example as we look through. Let's look at a couple of scriptures, look at grace. Some people try to use and say, oh, there are different ways to be saved, and Old Testament works, and, and, and this and that, and I've heard anywhere from two, three, five, ten, whatever different ways that supposedly people got saved in the Bible. No, it's always been grace by faith, and, and, and faith in God. It's by God's grace. That's the only way you get saved, always. That never changed, never will change, so God works. Now, how we, how we show it, how we do the outward, if you will. Um, I'm saved in the Old Testament. There, there is references in Abraham talked about. That's where some of the, 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 the circumcision came in. was an outward show they believed God. Later, when they had the law, they, they decided they obeyed the law. was the outward show that I believe God. Um, we come into the New Testament, and the New Testament church had baptism as the outward show that I believe God. That act by itself is not what saves you. It's, it's the showing of what I did in my heart. And uh, so <clears throat> we see that here that we have an element of this grace. Noah found grace. Turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. And verse 5, Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. 
says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of rejection and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us continually through Jesus Christ our Lord, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And uh, so... We, we see this, this change here. We see God, it's not by works, but it's what Christ did, and it's us accepting it by faith. And of course, verses we know, it's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Um, if you do that marked in your Bible, that's a good Bible verse to know on this issue. But Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Could you imagine if there were something that we could do to gain our salvation? Uh, other than just accept the free gift, you know, where the Romans talk about calling on the name of the Lord, and, and, and uh, other than just accepting the gift. Could you imagine what heaven would be like dealing with people that thought they did something to get there? Uh, I mean, it's, it's not both. I can't do anything. I don't have that part. And other than I accept the gift God gave, it says, not of works, lest any man should boast. I had somebody trying to argue their work salvation, saying we had to be good, we got to live right, not sin, all this stuff, trying to do works. And, and, and he came back and said, show me a verse in the Bible that says you don't work for your salvation. And then he added to that statement, um, but you can't use Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's like, so you already know the Bible says something against what you're trying to teach. So you don't want me to use the verses that prove you're wrong, but you want me to try to use Bible that proves it anyway. But uh, so not of works, lest any man should boast. Um, it's not other than receiving the gift. It's not on me. And uh, let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I like Galatians. Been some time now. We did a, on Galatians, and uh, we did a study through Galatians, and that was great. You want to know Paul dealing with someone trying to bring works into the church, dealing with salvation. Galatians is an excellent book. Do it. Galatians 3 and verse 6 says, Even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. And uh, over to Romans, all the way through the New Testament, especially when Jesus, when the apostles, when they were preaching to Jews, they went back to Abraham often. Because Abraham, as Israel nation, really was their father. It was, Abraham was a big deal. And uh, so, let's see what the Bible says here about Abraham and uh, our salvation. Now, this is Paul writing to the church in Romans. Abraham, or, or Abraham Romans chapter 4, and uh, they, uh, I'm going to start in verse 9, we can go up, but Romans 4, 9, cometh this blessedness then upon circumcision only, uh, or upon the uncircumcision also. Circumcision was a big deal because it was, it was historic for the Jews because of Abraham, because of their that they're showing all the way back in the Old Testament as a big deal, but much to the other parts of the world, 
um, didn't practice it, and that was a distinguishing difference in, in uh, the Old Testament. Um, it referred to, remember, the Philistines being referred to as uh, uncircumcised and, and all that. So this is writing to Romans. These are not Jews. This book is being written to Romans. There may be Jews in the church, and that's also the context of Galatians. They're, they're kind of at odds with this thing about circumcision. Man, to a Jew, it's a big deal. But to the, to the Gentiles and other parts of the world, it's like, wait, wait, wait a minute. We're believing in Christ. We're trusting in Christ, and we want to serve God. Why do we have to change that thing to, to get there? And, and that, so that's why, that's why circumcision is talked about in that context. You hooked up with salvation. It never was part of salvation. But, but some of the Jews coming in the Old Testament time were trying to connect that. And, and that's not what it is. So <clears throat> that's it. So the rest of the circumcision is also the last part of verse 9 in Romans chapter 4. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe. Though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had been yet uncircumcised for the promise that he should be the heir of the world, was not to Abraham or to see through through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And we're going to stop reading there. So what that says is, hey, it wasn't about circumcision. Abraham didn't get his righteousness through circumcision. He got his righteousness because he believed God. And, and God promised him those things because he believed them even before the circumcision. If you go back and, and read about Abraham and his covenant with God, it, the covenant was made and as a seal representation of later on, God told him to, to circumcise and go that route. So that action is not where your faith is. And that or any other action, but... But he said that's not what it's about. He said it's not through the law. Um, verse 13, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Abraham's faith in God was because of his faith and belief in God, not because of an action. It is not about works. And uh, so, moving on, we'll be in... Back to Genesis chapter 6. And then, of course, coming off of that, um, verse 11, the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. That's a big deal. We, we saw earlier, um, 
In verse 5, we saw God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Uh, um, that's that's a deep that that that's a pretty deep evil. And when God decided to destroy the earth, it wasn't that. Yeah, the world's wicked. The world without Christ, they're not taught. People not saved. We we expect a certain amount of sin or or godlessness in the world. But God looked down at this point in time and and looked into their heart and every imagination of the thought of their heart. Man, that's that's a deep... uh, I mean, God decided, hey, the only way I can deal with this is wipe them out. That's a pretty bad, deep-seated sin that even God at that point, that's why God said, hey, repentance I've made man. Um, I'm done. I'm going to say it. But Noah found grace. Now we see that. So, So verse 13, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So God's looking to destroy. Now he's given Noah the details on what to do. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shall thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without the pitch. And this is the fashion I shall make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. The breadth of it, 50 cubits. The height of it, 30 cubits. Put that in today's... um, uh, today's measurements, that's 510 feet long, eight, 85 feet wide, and 51 feet high. And, uh, and I'll say this, we mentioned a while ago about the scripture, my point is, we don't know how long it took Noah to make the ark, and I said it doesn't matter, but obviously this was a big project, it took a while. <laughs> it, it took some time. Um, it wasn't that my point earlier was just about, hey, don't twist the Bible. If we don't know something, it's okay to step back and say, I don't know. Just don't use scripture to make up something that you have an idea about. But, uh, but, but here, we don't know. It probably took him time. It took him years. You know, he had his family to help him. Nobody else believed him. And uh, so it, it took some time. I mean, this is hand tools. And that's a massive deal. I mean, that, that's not a small project if we did it today. And uh, with all the technology and materials we have access to. And then it said to pitch it within without. That's the, uh, that's the pitch to seal up the cracks. Man, that's a, that's a lot of... Um, man, man, that... that that a long, tedious job um, to get there. But God gave the instructions, so he did it. And uh, it's fair. Verse 16, a window shut thou make in the ark, and in a cubit thou shalt finish it above, and the door of the ark thou shalt set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third story shalt thou make it. And behold, even I do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heavens, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee I will establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee, and of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, fowls of the 
uh, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And thou shalt take unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and shall be food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. That last phrase is quite important. Um, I'm going to show what we have here. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Book of Hebrews is a list of what we call people work living by faith. The whole list of people in here. In Old Testament, one interesting thing, when we preach and taught quite some time ago now, um, been a while, I probably could even bring it up again, but, but uh, we were talking about faith throughout Scripture always equals obedience. Faith, faith works together with obedience. If you obey, have faith. Don't say you have faith if you're not obeying. It, it doesn't work. In other words, when you, if you read through Hebrews chapter 11 and every one of these people mentioned that lived in the Old Testament time, you don't find the word faith used with them doing whatever they did in the Old Testament. The word faith isn't there. But looking backwards to their obedience, oh yeah, they believe God. Sometimes we use faith to say, oh, someone, you trust God, you have faith in God. <clears throat> you trust God to that degree. Well, they didn't, it doesn't say that. It just says they obeyed. Looking backwards, we call it faith. And uh, so it, it's with obedience. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now the first example, by faith, Noah, being warned of God, of these things not seen as yet, in other words, he didn't know it was coming. He, he, didn't, he hadn't seen rain before. He just trusted God that well, I'm going to do what God said. Prepared an ark for the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. So he worked with faith. Let's go back to Genesis. Um, I'm going to finish up with a couple thoughts on the ark. Genesis chapter 6. And uh, as we look at that finish, notice um, God said he was going to bring the flood. Um, he told him how to make the ark. Verse 17, and behold, I even I do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is in the earth. So God said there's judgment coming. These people are so wicked, God, who created them, and don't fault God, people don't, well, God's love, how could God, being so loving, do all that? God's a just God, God's a holy God, God created man, he has every right to judge and, and hold us up to, up to his standard. He said, I'm going to wipe everything out, I'm going to destroy the earth, I, I, I'm going to destroy it with the flood, and but God gave a way out the same way that one day people are going to stand before God and their eternity is going to be judged. And, and, and if they did not accepted Christ, you're going to hell. If you've accepted Christ, you go to heaven. In other words, as a picture of salvation, yes, this was a physical event. They were being saved from a flood, not, not eternity, but but it was the same idea. God said, I'm going to make a judgment. But in God's love, God always makes a way out. 
We God, if, um, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And uh, so, so God said, "God said, hey, I, I'm going to judge the world. I'm going to wipe the world out. But hey, you believe, you trust, you're, you're, you're obeying me. I'm making a way out. I, I'm giving you a plan. Now here's how you do it. See, God always puts it on us. Sometimes people get caught up with God." Oh, well, God's in control, and God does. How does God allow? How does God let this happen? How does God do? If God's in control of everything, what's going on? God puts a responsibility on us. God gave us a mind and a brain to think, to make decisions, and gave us a will, a free will, to be able to decide, to choose. So God gave us a choice. God said, I know I'll protect you. I'll take care of your family. You found grace. I want you not only that, you're going to gather the animals so they can re replenish the earth. And, and, and I'm going to make a way. But here's how you do it. If Noah found, even though Noah found grace in the eyes of God, even though Noah had that faith or eternity or spiritual salvation, Noah said, what if Noah at that point said, man, that's just too much work. I don't want to do it. Oh, what if Noah said, well, you know, I'll make the ark to finger my family, but, but I don't know about gathering up all them animals. Man, man I say, that's not, that's not going to work for me, God. Let, let's find a different way to do this. No, God put the responsibility. That's why all the way through the Bible, people get discouraged sometimes or get upset with God. And God, why didn't you bless me? Why didn't you do this? If you follow God's blessing people throughout the entire Bible, You'll find there, there's, there's no condition on salvation other than believe and accept. That's the free gift. But God's blessing always has condition and has a responsibility on me to make the right decision. And, and that's what God put here. So God, God put, he extended, he said, Noah, he, he said, you found grace. I want you to do it. I'm going to save you. I'm going to save your family. Um, but... Here's how you do it. And God said, let's look over Luke 14 real quick. Uh, a couple more things, Luke 14. And then God said, hey, not just your family, but the animals. Now, I'm not trying to compare animals with uh, people here, but, but uh, God said animals. He said, that what, my point is that, that if we believe God, if we trust God, if we live for God, that blessing can send, extend outside of the parameters that we first thought. In other words, God said, hey, Noah, I'm going to save you, and I'm going to save your sons and their wives. It's all your immediate family. But then he said, hey, you're going to take in the animals, two by two of every sort, all the kinds of animals. I want you to help, help someone outside of your group, outside of your family in um Luke 14 and verse 23, we have the, the, the parable. You're talking about the dinner. Remember, they came, and, and the people that were originally invited didn't want to come. That's a reference to, to Israel. But uh, Lord said unto the servant, Luke 14, verse 23, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be full that my house may be filled. So Jesus said, hey, you're going to go out. He said, I just want this thing full. I just want it out. It needs to be bigger than you now. 
Um, God said, here's the blessing. Here's your salvation. Here's your faith. Here's the word of God. Here's everything you need to live for me. And, and you need to, I, I need you to have a right relationship. God said, but as you grow and have a right relationship with God, that it needs to be able to extend outside of that. And then, uh, of course, as Jesus ascended into heaven and told his disciples in Mark 16, 15, to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. God said, here's the plan. Here's how I'm going to save you. Here's your salvation. Here, here's your instructions for life. Here's how to have a relationship with me. And God said, if you do it right, it's going to affect other people also. And uh, so God said some lesson. God, as, he, as Noah, found grace in the eyes of God. But it extended not only to the animals immediately, but guess what? They landed, replenished the earth. Now we have generation. We're here today because Noah obeyed God. And uh, we, we need to look at that example, how Noah, as a big deal, um, and the flood, how it changed the world and, and uh, science and all that stuff, and that finding there, there's all kinds of things, disprove evolution, all sorts of things you can talk about the flood. But mostly that Noah found great, Noah believed God, Noah obeyed God. And we have a great example. Let's stand together as uh, we close with, with a brief invitation. And, of course, if you have a question or need or salvation, the altar is open if you need to come. But... But uh, first of all, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? Do you have that settled? But also, what are we doing for God to share and extend our influence of God's grace to other people? Let's close in prayer. God, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you that we can come to your house and worship you around your word. God, I pray that you'll help us, bless us if we go live for you and look at Noah's example. Man, what a humongous project. Must have been overwhelming for Noah to take that from God and write down those numbers on the side of the ark and say, how in the world am I going to build this? But he obeyed God and he did it. And God, I pray that you'll help us this week as we go to live for you, and uh, that we'll take that to others and, and, uh, and, and, and extend as we serve you this week. Um, God, that we'll take your grace that you gave us and help extend it to someone else. God, I pray that you'll help us, bless us as we serve you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.